heard a story that Alistair Begg told of a time that he was in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, you may or may not know, my parents actually lived in Cambridge for a little bit, so I'm a little bit familiar with the area that he was describing. But he had been invited to come and speak to a group of students in Cambridge and to preach the gospel. And one morning, he was preparing, getting his heart right with the Lord as he was opening his scriptures at a coffee shop at Harvard Square. If you don't know, Cambridge is not just the home to Harvard, but also MIT and the greater Boston area is home to a great number of large research institutions. Uh, you think you probably think of Boston as this major metro area, and it is, but also Boston is very much a college town because there are students everywhere. And particularly in Cambridge this day, he was seeing students. And, and by students in Cambridge, you're not just talking about undergrads. You're talking about graduate students, doctoral students. So all ages of students and professors coming and going. And all nationalities represented in this very international area of Massachusetts. And as, as he was opening up his Bible and reflecting on the truth of the gospel, he was looking and he was recognizing the busyness of all of these highly educated people that were on their way to solve any number of problems of the world, that were seeking answers to all sorts of issues of the day, but were also running so hard in such a hurry and not seeking Christ for those questions and those answers. And he began to think of how few people there must be in that area that truly followed Jesus I think we, we all know that in, in the Northeast or in major universities like that, that maybe it's hard to find a Christian, a true follower of Jesus. And he was overwhelmed with the responsibility of his task to preach the gospel to students in such a setting. And then as he was um, praying and reading scriptures, he saw a sparrow enter into the coffee shop, fly through the window. And he was just reminded of God's great grace in knowing that God has said his eye is on the sparrow. And as the sparrow drew his attention, his attention was then drawn to a young woman at a table at the other end of the coffee shop, an Asian woman who was reading from the scripture, a woman that was from a, a different part of the world, had not been in the U.S. for long, and was very different than, than Alistair, who is, if you don't know, is Scottish and not an American. And he thought, wow, the nations are converging here, and look. She has the scriptures in front of her. So he goes and he goes, talks to her. And he says, I see you're reading the Bible. Are you a Christian? And her answer was an answer that he had never heard before in his ministry. And it's such a fitting answer for us in the, the conversation we're going to have this morning. She looked at him and said, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. I have found the narrow way. And he was just stunned to say, you know, she is exactly right. Because looking all around, he had just been overwhelmed by the number of people going the wide path, going the direction of the world and not entering in through the narrow gate. And here this woman, she got it. She got that in following Jesus, she was going a different direction from many of her peers. She was living a different lifestyle. She was pursuing different ends in her life. And so today, we will reflect on this question of what it means to enter through the narrow gate, through the narrow door. Jesus is really good, again today, at answering a question in a way totally unexpected, in a way that actually changes the question. Because Jesus doesn't quite say it like this, but when he's asked the question for the day, his response is essentially, 
you're asking the wrong question. So instead of asking, instead of answering your question, I'm going to answer the question you should have asked. So in chapter 13, verse 22 is where we'll start. Jesus is on his way toward Jerusalem, and I believe I've told you the last couple of weeks, Jesus at this point is, is nearing the end. He's in definitely the last year. Um, he's preparing to enter into sort of the last few months before the crucifixion and therefore resurrection and ascension. And so his ministry in the small towns is diminishing as he is still walking through the small towns, but focusing mostly with his eyes set towards Jerusalem, recognizing his ultimate goal is to get to Jerusalem and his mind is set on the ministry he will do there. So, 1322, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? There's the question. And Jesus said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you've come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, do not know. I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. People will come from east and west and north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. So Jesus' answer is not what was expected. The answer is essentially, is there going to be a lot of people or a few people in heaven? Are there going to be a lot of people that are saved? or a few people that are saved. His response, he does answer the question in one sense. Obviously, if the gate is narrow, what he is saying is there's going to be fewer. But the real response is stop worrying about everybody else. The question you need to be asking is, have you found the entrance to the kingdom? Have you found the narrow door? See, the Jews would have known the answer to the question. And so whoever this guy is, whatever his intent in in asking the question, many of the audience would have thought they knew the answer because the answer in Jewish culture and in the pharisaical teaching of the day was that all Israel would be saved, except maybe a few that were especially bad. And we know this because of this book called the Mishnah. And um, if you don't know what the Mishnah is, the Mishnah actually came a couple hundred years after Jesus. But the Mishnah is a written, recorded version of the oral tradition that the Pharisees were, were, were teaching to people in Jesus' day, okay? So the Mishnah is important because it helps us see what the people were being taught before Jesus showed up, what the people were believing without following Jesus. The Mishnah shows the Pharisaical teaching of the day. And so in the Mishnah, it says that all Israel will be saved except for three categories. Those that reject the resurrection, those that reject that there will be a resurrection and and eternal salvation altogether. Number two category of Israel not saved is those that say the law did not come from God and from heaven. 
And number three, those that follow the pagan atheistic philosophers of Greece, notably Epicurus. And so those, those three categories of Jews will not be saved, according to the Mishnah. But everybody else will. And so the answer that the Jewish audience would have expected from Jesus is, y'all are good. But also, yeah, few are going to be saved because the other part of that is all of Israel will be saved, except for a few, but nobody else. That's the answer the Jew would have expected because according to the Mishnah as well, there are a few Gentiles that enter in, Gentiles or non-Jews. There are a few that are not native um, descendants of, of Abraham that could enter into the kingdom of God, but those are people like Rahab or like Ruth who both happen to marry into Israelite families and follow God um, himself. And so if you were not like Rahab and Ruth and married in and starting to follow Yahweh as a foreigner, then you had no chance at salvation. That's the belief that Jesus's audience would have held in that day. And so his answer is shocking at a lot of levels. And so as we unpack it today, recognize Jesus is not just, this is just a principle of scripture, okay? Jesus is talking to them first, right? But Jesus is not just talking to them. The Holy Spirit of God is telling us something today also. Okay, so the question for us is not just, what does this passage say to the first century Jew? Although I've, I've belabored that a little bit. The question for us is, what is God saying to me through the Spirit of God revealing the truth of the Scripture to me right now? Because the same answer Jesus gives to them, he would give to us. Have you, have you, answered, have you entered through the narrow gate? That's the important question. Not what they're doing over there. That's important. But before you worry about what they're doing over there, where are you? Are you on the wide path? Are you on the narrow path? Are you going the way of the world? Or are you entering in through the narrow gate? That's our question for today. Now, Jesus' answer actually has three aspects to it. And I'll call them three requirements, which should already make you uncomfortable. Because you're sitting there thinking, wait, wait, wait. Are you telling us that in order to receive salvation from Jesus, there's something we must do? And I'm going to answer that definitively, sort of. Now, so just go with me through these three requirements, and you'll, you'll see what I mean here. Jesus says first in verse 24, strive. The word strive there means make every effort. Make every effort to enter. Now, what does he mean? Does that mean you have to work hard at being righteous and being good? No, that is not the gospel. 100% false gospel, not the good news of Jesus. Jesus is not saying work hard to do the right thing, to be good, to be righteous on your own efforts. That's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is strive to reach the right level of understanding. Because these three requirements... He's, he's asking you to exert effort, strive, and not be indifferent. That's, that's point one. Strive, striving over indifference or effort over indifference. Point two, urgency over passivity. Point three, true knowledge over empty knowledge. That's what Jesus is driving home to us this morning. The word strive there, the Greek word for the day is agonizomai. Now, I'm going to give you a guess. What does agonizomai best translate to or most readily translate to in English? Agonize. He's saying, 
agonize in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. What, is, what could that possibly mean? He is saying, don't be indifferent. Don't put it off. Don't be passive. Don't put off questions of eternity till tomorrow or next week or next year. Don't put off your your searching for Jesus until you reach high school graduation or college graduation or until you get married or have kids or until you retire. And because this is what we do to ourselves. In our sinfulness, in our brokenness, it is so easy for us to put off until tomorrow what needs to be done today. And Jesus is saying to us, don't put me off till tomorrow. Strive to enter through the gate today. Take it seriously. If you have questions, strive to find the answers. If you have doubts, strive to to find the answers. And do it with the word of God, in Christian community, with a local church. Ask those questions. Agonize over those doubts. But don't turn off the agony and the doubts and just say, well, that's too hard, that's too stressful. I'm gonna think about that later. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Lean into the hard questions. Lean in to the searching for Jesus and searching for the truth. Do not run away and put off your questions for tomorrow. He's not asking you to work your way into salvation. He's asking you to not put off salvation. He's asking you to take him seriously and to take the question of eternity seriously. See, it's really popular in this day and age to have some faint idea of a divine being or some faint idea of spirituality without real truth to it or without really coming down and taking a side on this is what I believe. And so it's really popular and really common for, for, for people to have this idea that there is a divine being out there, that there is a great spirit out there, that there is some, some benevolent creator out there even. But as much as we might have this general sense that maybe some God exists, often we do not take it seriously enough to figure out who is this God that exists. If there's a supreme power, if there's a supreme being, what is he like? Who's right in their interpretation of him? Is the Quran right in its interpretation? Is the scripture right in its interpretation? Is, is New Age right in its interpretation of spirituality? Who's right? Jesus is not saying, work for your salvation. He's saying, strive to find the answers to the most important questions. And don't put them off. Point two is urgency over passivity. He says in verse 24, strive. And then in verse 25, he says, there's a door open right now that's not always going to be open. And this is an incredible challenge for us today. There is a door open. Listen, if, if you can hear my voice right now, the door's open. It, it's that simple. But, but the day you breathe your last breath, the door closes. Or the day Jesus returns for his, for his ransom bride, the door closes. And so before the door closes, enter in through the narrow gate because today is the day of salvation. And listen, here's the deal. I said, we don't work our way in there. Jesus is not saying that. The way we enter in through the narrow gate is only through what Jesus has accomplished for you and for me. That's the only way I entered in. That's the only way any of us get in is we recognize we are all sinners. And by saying we're all sinners, we're saying we've all messed up we're all incapable of being perfect on our own. That's, that shouldn't be a hard bridge to cross, right? 
We shouldn't be, have difficulty admitting, I'm not perfect. I don't always do the right thing. I don't always do righteous acts. But what makes, what makes humanity uncomfortable is when you say the fact that you're not perfect means you now deserve punishment for your imperfections. But what Jesus recognizes and what we have to recognize is that a holy, a perfect, a righteous God that is not like us, that is separate from us, that is above and beyond us, he has revealed himself to us. And so as we reject him, then yeah, we deserve punishment. As we reject his law, as we act as if we are our own gods or our own idols and do the selfish things that we want to do for ourselves, that's sin. That's rebellion against a holy king. And what Jesus is saying here is that that way is easy. That, that's the wide path to just live for yourself, to just live for what you want. But don't put off the question, is God who he says he is? Am I really a sinner? Do my sins really condemn me to hell? Do my sins really condemn me to punishment? Jesus doesn't just say you need to strive. He doesn't just say effort over indifference. He doesn't just say urgency over passivity. He also says there's a level of knowledge that's just not enough. Again, vague concepts of who God is is not enough to reach saving faith. Even some affirmations of Jesus as God, even some affirmations of the Bible as true, that's not enough. Listen to what he goes on to say. There are those that will approach the door, and as the master of the house is shutting the door, they will say, wait, 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 wait. We were eating and drinking with you. We were listening to you speak on the streets. So the master here is Jesus. Matthew 7 helps us see that a little bit more clearly. The, the master here is Jesus. And the people that are having the door shut in their face are saying to Jesus, Jesus, we sat down and we had a meal with you. Jesus, we came and listened to you speak on the streets. Or those in our day might say, we went to church. We went to Bible study. We were in a small group. We served we gave money. We volunteered. And all of those get the answer from the master here. I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Verse 27. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Uh, Matthew 7 is even more uncomfortable because in Matthew 7, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, or you evildoers, to those that are calling out to him to say, Jesus, didn't we prophesy in your name? Jesus, didn't we do miracles in your name? I mean, think about, if you saw a prophet, if you saw somebody doing miracles, wouldn't you think they're good? Wouldn't you think they're in? They're on the inside, they're good with Jesus? And Jesus is saying in Matthew 7, there are some that will do amazing things in, serve, in apparent service to my kingdom but they will do it without truly knowing me. Because head knowledge isn't enough. The demons know who Jesus is, but they don't recognize him as their king, as their Lord. They don't follow him. The narrow gate is not entered in through just knowing about Jesus. The narrow gate, the narrow gate is entered through by knowing Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as King. 
You enter the narrow gate by saying, I can't do this on my own, Jesus. I need you. I, I can't earn my way through, Jesus. I need you. Look at these incomplete gospels that, that don't allow people to enter in through the gate. The incomplete gospel of being, all I need to do is be close to Jesus or close to what Jesus is doing. There's no horseshoes and hand grenades here. It's not about being close. It's not about physical proximity. It's about being in Jesus and Jesus being in you. Jesus goes on to say it's not about ministry. It's not about serving. You don't earn your way in by serving Jesus, by serving his kingdom. Actually, there are those that will prophesy in his name and do miracles in his name that will not enter in. Just serving is not enough. Knowing about Jesus also not enough. Both Matthew 7 and here in Luke 13, people are calling out, knowing Jesus by name. Knowing Jesus by name, but not entering into the kingdom because they didn't know him as Lord and they didn't receive him as Lord. So the result, the result is not everybody's gonna make it. The result is not everybody is going to enter in through the narrow gate. So yeah, Jesus in one sense is answering the guy's question to say, yeah, it's going to be few. But then he goes on to shock them because here's, you know, I told you what the Jew, Jewish view would be. The Jewish view would be number one, all Israel is saved except for a few. Number two, all not Israel are not saved except for a few. And Jesus is saying to the crowd, some of you are not going to make it. He says, Abraham's going to be there. Isaac's going to be there. Jacob's going to be there. The prophets are going to be there. And some of you from Israel will not be there. But here's one more. He says, instead, you'll see people coming from the east and people coming from the west. I did that backwards. People coming from the east and people coming from the west that will come in and enter into the kingdom of God and enter through the narrow gate. How does that happen? That happens because Jesus died on the cross to bear the sins of the world, of every nation, tongue, and tribe, so that any that would receive him can enter into the kingdom. So who are the people from the east and the west? Us. We're the ones from the east and the west, unless you're, unless you're descended from Abraham. Unless you're a true Israelite, then maybe you're not. But the rest of us as Gentiles, we're those from the east and the west that have entered in and are surprising to the nation of Israel to see that we are receiving salvation while many of them are not because they're not receiving salvation through Jesus, their rightful Messiah, their rightful King. But the warning for us is if there are many in Israel that might know the truth of God's word and not enter into the kingdom, there could be many in the church, many outwardly in the organization we know as the church that are not part of the true church or the true bride of Christ. And therefore, we should all, we should all take note, examine ourselves, work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. The first application of today's message is are you on the narrow path? Are you seeking after Jesus? And if you're on the narrow path, then your salvation your eternity is secured because you've entered only by the blood of Jesus, not through your own efforts, not through your own works, but by the efforts of Jesus. So the application here is honest urgency. The application here is first for those that are unsure, that are doubting, that are questioning. 
Maybe you've been, you've been seeking Jesus for a while. Maybe you've been listening to Jesus from his word from a while, for a while. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while. Maybe you've ra- you've, you're here because your parents brought you here. And you've been doing this thing for a while. But you've never actually repented of your sin and said, I can't do it without him. Then today's the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's not next month. It's not next year. It's today. Today is the day that I, I pray that the Spirit of God moves in you to renew you, to call you to himself so that you might respond in coming, bowing your knee and giving your life to him. Jesus goes on. He keeps walking in verse 31. He, he has more things to do. And as he's uh, talking in this previous conversation here, 22 through 30, verse 31, we see something different. There's another comment from the crowd. This time, one of the Pharisees. One of the Pharisees comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, Ferret is trying to kill you. Now, before I read this, I want to ask you a question. Are the, chari- are the Pharisees for Jesus or against Jesus? They're against Jesus. We've already seen that they are seeking to trap him. They are seeking to silence him. So is the Pharisee saying, hey, Jesus, Herod's trying to kill you. Is he out for Jesus' best interests? No. He's just trying to silence him. He's just trying to get Jesus to leave. He is telling Jesus, Herod's coming to get you. We're really worried about you. What he means is, please leave so we can tell the people you're wrong. That's the message the Pharisee's trying to get across here. And Jesus knows what's up. He knows Herod. And his answer is incredibly bold. And so in this last section, we're going to see boldness from Jesus, and we're going to see brokenness from Jesus. And we're going to see that Jesus is fully and perfectly both. And so we're called as his followers to demonstrate both as well. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, verse 31, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I may go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. So what does Jesus say about Herod? He calls him a fox. Now just so you know, in case this needs explanation, it probably shouldn't. But fox meant something different in first century Israel today. So if you call somebody a fox today, that's not what Jesus is talking about. It's not, it's not Jesus saying something about Herod's appearance, right? We're not calling anybody a fox today. But what Jesus is saying, first century Israel, do you know that to be a fox was to be cunning, sly, deceptive, living in the darkness, trick, um, tricking others? That, that's what Jesus was, was commenting on. Jesus was giving to Herod one of the worst insults he could have as a good Jew given to him. It's significant. And so don't miss the cultural significance of the context of where Jesus was in history. Jesus is being outright confrontational with the Pharisees, and he's being at one level, you might say, rude, a little bit rude to Herod. And Jesus is the son of God. He's sinless. He can, he can speak the truth, and he can speak the truth in a bold and confrontational way. And so notice here, Jesus with the lost is bold. Jesus with the lost is confrontive. Jesus with the lost gets in your face and calls a spade a spade. But he doesn't end there. Verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is bold with the lost in calling Herod a fox. Jesus is broken with the lost in weeping over Jerusalem as we see in other places. Here in what he says, he is saying, I long for you as a mother hen longs for her children. I long to bring you back into myself. I long to bring you to repentance, to bring you back into restored relationship for me. Jesus is broken in his caring, in his heart, in his love for the lost of the nation of Israel. He's broken for the loss of Jerusalem. And so for us, what we need to see here is that we don't need to be just bold and we don't need to be just broken in our approach to the lost. Because here's what we've already established here. We've already established that the gate is narrow. And therefore, we need to be abundantly clear about what it does mean to follow Jesus and what it doesn't mean to follow Jesus. How you do receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and, re- and you don't receive new life. You don't do it by works. You don't do it by doing the right things, by earning your way in. You do it by believing that you are a sinner and Jesus died for you and receiving him as Lord. That's the way in. So, proclaiming that way in often requires us to be bold. And you know what you gotta do? You gotta tell a sinner they're a sinner. And you've gotta tell a sinner that they're going to hell if they don't enter through the narrow gate. That's, that's Jesus. We, we tell the truth. We don't tell the truth because we want people to feel bad about themselves. We tell the truth because we love people and we want them to receive the truth. Now, now trust me, you can be bold and also be a jerk. That's not what we're looking for here. So what we're looking for is boldness and telling the truth. But we're also looking for this other thing that Jesus is demonstrating here. Jesus is broken. Broken that the lost have rejected him and are therefore on their way towards punishment. Don't lose that either. In the midst of your boldness to tell the truth, Remember that Jesus is, is not just bold and confrontive. Jesus is also gentle and lowly and weeping over the lost in Jerusalem. We can't go too far down either way. We can be bold and without a little bit of brokenness and a little bit of pain in the, the fact that sinners are perishing and, and going to be punished for their sins. We can be bold and uncaring. That's not what we're looking for. We're also not looking for, though, brokenness only. Because brokenness without boldness results in fear results in fear of telling somebody the truth. We can't be so broken and so caring with people that we are afraid to tell them that they really are sinners, that eternal punishment really is coming. And it takes some wisdom to do both. It takes some wisdom to, to, to demonstrate proper brokenness at the sin of another person, at the lostness of the person in front of you. But it also takes great boldness. It takes wisdom to find the balance of the two. But we're not looking, Jesus isn't looking for followers who are bold and uncaring. Neither is he looking for followers who are broken but fearful of upsetting another person. Boldness says in this moment. Boldness says in this moment uh, where the church is gathered, you are a sinner. And therefore, if you have not repented, you must repent and turn from your wicked ways and receive Jesus as the savior of your sin. And boldness tells you, 
You're going to hell if you don't. But brokenness in this moment says, no matter how bad you think you are, no matter how much you think you've messed up, no matter how far you feel away from Jesus in this moment, no matter what you've done, the gentle and lowly Savior does not want you to perish, does not want you to go to hell. The gentle and lowly Savior is calling out to you right now. Will you respond? So some of us need to respond today in repentance to receive the gift of life. And some of us just need a refresher on exactly how beautiful the gospel is so that we can go out of this place and seek in wisdom the balance of boldness and brokenness with the lost so that we can proclaim the way of the narrow way. We can show others the path that Jesus has called us on. I'm going to ask the band to come up and I'm going to share one more thing with you as they do. I'm really going to encourage you to think and reflect on these words as we sing. And as we sing, you can stand and sing with us. You can kneel and sing. You can come forward and talk to me. You can receive the gift of salvation today because today is the day of salvation. But I also want to draw your attention there, there, uh, to the corner of the room over here under this, under this black cloth. Um, there's something new, and it's actually kind of cool. Um, this is our baptismal pool. And it's, it's not finished yet. It's not ready yet. Be, be still a few weeks, maybe a couple months. But when it's ready, what that baptismal pool is going to do is it, it's going to come up here, and we're going to fill it with water. And when we fill it with water, what we're preparing to do is we're preparing to put people under the water. And when we put you under the water, what we're doing is we're saying, based on your confession of your faith, that Jesus has died for you. And so then, in baptism, you are buried with Christ. In his death, in his sacrifice, his death was for you, his sacrifice for you. And then when we raise you out of the water, guess what? It means that you, because of Jesus' resurrection, are raised to newness of life with him. And when we fill that pool with water, we're going to fill it with people too. And so today, I'm going to ask you to consider where you are with Christ. Are you on the narrow path or are you walking down the wide path that leads to destruction? And let's figure that out today so that you can be one of those that fills that pool when we're ready. Stand and sing with us. Lord, I come. I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. And without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I 
Father, we do close today with a proclamation of our great need for you because we are not capable on our own. It doesn't matter whether we're big sinners or little sinners. It doesn't matter who's more sinful than the other. It doesn't matter how many years we've pursued sin and how many years we've pursued you. What matters today is are we in are we on the narrow path of entering into your kingdom? What will matter that day is not the number of years that we've served, 
Not the number of scriptures we know, but are we in you and are you in us? So Father, let, let no one leave this room today without the assurance of being in you. Because we need you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Remain standing and receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.